My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. I knew that. <laughs> You're going to do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. years that I'm not working Fourth of July. Fourth of July. community policing, right? What about So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode here at Let's Talk Dispatch with me. Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. I hope you all are doing well and are easing into the new year. And hopefully those folks who had to work New Year's Day or New Year's Eve uh, didn't have too many, uh, you know, gunshot calls that are really fireworks calls. Uh, You know, 2023 flew by. Um, I honestly can't believe it's already 2024. And I'm so excited for all the things we got going on this year. So far in the works, and we're going to the Denise Amber Lee conference at the end of this month, uh, January 28th. We're going to have a booth there. So if you're going to be at that conference, make sure to drop by, say hi, grab some dispatch merch. Um, also, we're going to be at Cal Nina, um, our local chapter out here's conference as well. Um, so a lot of fun stuff, a lot of conferences coming up. It's a good time of year. With all that being said, We're going to go ahead and bring on my guest today who has over 17 years of experience as a dispatcher, 22 years in EMS, and 14 years teaching. They're a full-time dispatcher and a paid on-call EMT. And if that wasn't enough, they enjoy teaching fire-related material to dispatchers and fire personnel throughout their state. My guest today, Renee, if my mouse would. There we go. Hi, Renee. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You were saying you got eight inches of snow. So uh, far. So, <laughs> so far. So still in progress uh, out there. <laughs> Until noon tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. And so, to a foot. <laughs> <laughs> so Renee will be walking to work, maybe a light jog to keep the keep the blood flowing. You know, It's going to take me a few days to do that. My commute is 42 minutes with no hitches. <laughs> but this is what we kind of talked about it before. It's one of those realities of our job is like someone has to get there or yeah. someone ain't leaving. <laughs> you right. Know? right. Exactly. We don't get snow days uh, as dispatchers, it seems, unfortunately. Sure don't. Sure don't have EMS either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how did you get into public safety and what was that like for you? Um, It was an unfortunate incident of how I got into public safety. Um, I worked at a gas station in a small town near my hometown. And one of our regular customers, I didn't know at the time, Um, had a brain aneurysm when he was um, pumping gas at our pump. And my uh, my partner went out to check on him. She's like, hey, call his wife. And then she was on her way. And that's when it was like, it blew. And he was having a full-blown seizure in his car. You know, I called 911. And they were volunteer at the time. And the station was literally behind our gas station. And I was like, what is taking so long? Like, I I had no idea, right? I had no idea how any of this worked. So... Finally, they get there, they transport him, we move his car, find out he had a brain aneurysm, he passed away a couple days later, and I was like, dude, I never want to feel like that again. I never, ever want to go through that feeling of not knowing what to do ever again. So that led me to um, a path in the um, town that I moved to, um, volunteer um, fire and EMS since like 1927. And this was in the year 2000 that this started. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to know some people around town and some of them on the fire department. And I was like, I'm interested, you know, in, in all this. And they paid for my education. Wow. So with grants and stuff like that, that they continued to get, they paid for my education to become an EMT basic, an IV tech, an advanced EMT. Um, they paid for all of it. So and for me, it's not necessarily about, I mean, I, we get paid, right? And we've got, we have gotten paid since the beginning. But for me, it's more about serving my community than it was anything else. 
So to lead to the dispatch side, one of the EMTs on the fire department, she's like, hey, the county has an opening. You should apply. I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, really? Mm. I'm not so sure about that. So I took the test. Out of 260 people, I was number four on the list. <laughs> and here we are. March 6th will be 18 years. So we're almost 18 years later. Here we are. <laughs> that That's really amazing. And I mean, we all have these like life experiences that we bring with us into this line of work, you know, and in this moment you have, which is so impactful that it, unfortunately, you know, they had that incident, but that pushed you to save countless lives, I would imagine, after through the work you do, through the education you have, through the knowledge you have. You know, I say all the time, like the medical side of dispatch, like, no, thank you. I don't want to hear the throw up. <laughs> it takes special people to, you know, to get folks to act in those type of crisis and yes. um, being the person who's, you know, hands on in the field pumping too. Like that's, you know, that's tremendous work. And, you know, I, I know um, that that moment was rough, but you, it put you in a direction to save so many lives after that. And I think that's awesome. Yep, it sure did. Well, what was it like for you in the beginning? Like, how did you decide to come out of the field, really, and into dispatch, even though you still, you know, dabble um, in the field with the EMS stuff? Um, what was kind of that deciding factor where you were like, ah, this might be something I, I'm into? Um, so I, I, you know, I considered private ambulance or, you know, to attempt to get into a full-time department. Um, one of my very best friends, um, who was my assistant chief at the time, um, had told me, apply for fire, you know, just keep going to school, keep going to school, we'll pay for it, we'll pay for it, we'll pay for it. I'm like, all right. So I um, was trying to get on the fire department, and then my mom got cancer, so I withdrew my application. Mm. And then I started again, and then I was like, okay, let's do this, right? And he's like, all right, well, let's, you know, get you started. He got me, you know, like, he found gear that fit me. We got the pack on. Put the face mask on and it was over. Oh. I broke out into hives. Oh wow. Um, that's when we discovered that I'm facial claustrophobic. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like I could never pack up. So what is the point of being a fire, you know, being a fireman if I can't do it? I'm going and wasting everyone's time. I'm not so that I withdrew my application from fire again. Mm. Um I it, the um, EMS was, you know, always really more about serving my community than a career mm-hmm. really for me. Um, I, a lot of the people that were on our department went to work for privates and they became very jaded. Mm-hmm. It's a very tasking career and even a volunteer, you know, like some of the things that we see, you know, 1% of the population does our, all of our jobs here. Right. Yeah. The things that we see, the things that we hear as dispatchers are things that no person should hear, but we hear 10 calls to their one, yeah. right? So it's it literally takes a special person to do what we do. And for me, it was, the pay was nice. The benefits were good, <laughs> you know? Um, and it was just something that I was good at. I mean, like, I caught on like that. So I was like, yeah. Third shift sucks, but here we are. I have really great insurance, and then the insurance got bad, but I still had a really good job. Yeah. Hi, Kitty. <laughs> oh, we got a guest, special guest. What's Kitty's name? Her name is Queenie. Oh. She is <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's just, the, and then the dispatch thing really, like, rolled into me teaching for the state. More so than the EMS EMS portion. Um, I don't get paid to teach for the state. That's completely volunteer. I get um, reimbursed for mileage, meals, and lodging. But that literally is the best job I have in the world. Really? So cool. none, none of us get paid. Yeah. We all want to be there because we believe in what we're teaching. Mm-hmm. So it, it's all just kind of like... Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and we need instructors like that, you know, like who are just passionate about the job. 
um, yeah. are educated in the things that they're teaching and really want to give it to the next the next folks in line. You know, I think in dispatch as a whole, um, we've struggled with that, like wanting to train our replacements. And it's such Ooh. a weird phenomenon that I don't know um, that I've heard that it's so um, uh, so alive and well um, in other lines of work, as I've heard it in dispatch, you know, on a couple of these like reels that I have that have blown up, like people are just like, I tried to do dispatch, but my trainer was toxic. And, you know, I ended up in therapy because of how I was being treated. And, and it's like, this is a reality that folks are dealing with mm-hmm. in our centers and it just shouldn't be happening. Like our trainers and want to train our new people. We shouldn't train my Olympics. You know, we should really be empowering folks to do this tough job. And I think we're getting better, you know, um, but I want the day to happen where I'm not having these people sharing these such negative stories that they could have been great dispatchers, but they had a poor experience in training. Right. I wholeheartedly agree with you. I've seen the toxic trainer and just literally shake my head. Like we want to teach these people how to be good partners, not just good dispatchers, a partner for us, a partner for the people on the other side of the radio. That's what it's about. It's not about, I know more than you, you don't know anything. So I'm going to treat you like you don't know anything because that's literally how, you know, some people were treated in our center. And some people got to start over with other training officers that were a little bit more patient. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a time and a place when you can start to not use it, not have that patience because they're just either just not getting it. Like maybe you need to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. Is this job really for you? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's a, that's a very humbling conversation to have with a person who has this starting passion to want to do that job. Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, and I I think it's totally uh, valid that we need to have hard conversations with folks who are having a hard time in training um, and really empower them to do what they can to do better and bow out when it's not not a good look when it's not working out right and i mean i think dispatching is probably the hardest job to learn as someone who's lateral not it's not for the week you know what i mean you know even as a full-fledged dispatcher who's like i've done this job i know how to do this job um it's it's hard to relearn this job even at a new agency it's just a tough job, you know? I, yep. I was yeah. at a county agency for 12 and a half years before I went to my, so 15 agencies, police, fire, and EMS to one. Jeez Louise. And I was like, does anything else happen here? Or is it, you know, it's a, it's a cute little town. I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, talk trash about the town I, I work in because I don't live anywhere near where I work. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's quaint. It's a lake community. People from the Chicagoland area own second homes where I work. So we have that dynamic too in the summertime. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also got a lot of that the previous agency because Lake Geneva is in the county that I used to work in. Mm -hmm. So, and that's very, you know, they call that little Chicago. (laughs) So, so, you know, we had a lot of that dynamic to deal with, but I I don't, it's, it's just I honestly, I think the very hardest part was the geography mm-hmm. and get reading of uh, getting rid of that post office mentality. Oh, you're mm-hmm. in Lake Geneva. Okay, let me transfer to Lake Geneva. Like, hold up. 
<laughs> there's like four communities that use the Lake Geneva area like zip codes. Let's yeah. step back here a second and ask them who they pay taxes to. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Geography is so important. I mean, like for the folks who like work have worked in their cities for so long and like know like the old burnt down warehouse on the corner that used to be the Jiffy Lou, but it's now the steakhouse and like it's it's cheating, really. It's it's not fair. You have all the secret backdoor information. Um, yeah. but geography can really like make or break a call when your caller doesn't know where you are and you're trying to pull tits and bits from them in order to really figure out what they're seeing. You know, geography's big for sure. And especially after COVID, because so many mm-hmm. of these mom and pop places it closed because they couldn't afford to stay open during COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. So what we knew them as before COVID, they're gone or it's just an empty building now. So, I mean, there's a lot more um, empty office space, a lot more, em- you know, empty buildings, a lot more empty in industry. Mm. Um, my town where I work, where I live and I'm um, the POC for the fire department, you know, it's a college town mm. also. And like, we don't, we've lost a lot of industry here because we don't have affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So no industry yeah. will come here. So that's harder too. Yeah. So like what I used to know was used to be a grocery store is now a strip mall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, there used to be a blockbuster there. What's blockbuster? I love blockbuster. <laughs> I have blockbuster with my mom. <laughs> I think we need to bring it back. I understand we have 400 different streaming services, but there's nothing like browsing a wall of DVDs, looking at some ridiculous covers and not ever hearing of the movie, but still grabbing it to see what it's about. Exactly. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. I mean, like, if you don't know what Blockbuster is, my heart hurts. I feel aged. I am yep. unwell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, a lot of those things, you know, like Blockbuster, for mm-hmm. me, besides going to see the movies, is not necessarily a place that's a pleasant experience for me because we have a death there, right? Mm-hmm. So, but even still the nostalgia of Blockbuster, you know, you can still, and then, you know, along that 1% of the people, you know, we we are the one percent we can also literally have that conversation over a meal and other people are like we're eating (laughs) who invited this person to the steak dinner (laughs) yep it's true especially when you're working uh you know where you're living or in a community that you frequent often um i think we do have landmarks based on events we've worked for sure um mm-hmm. and i mean <clears throat> i can drive down the street and be like that's where blah 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 happened and like everyone would be like what are you talking about like if you it know? didn't make the news i don't know about it but like we have access to so many incidents that go on in our cities and our counties um that folks just don't realize are happening you know yep absolutely you know, the, the teaching job that I do, um, we try to um, advocate for dispatch as much as possible because we're often overlooked. The amount of, uh, there's one portion of our conference, we also do a, an annual conference that I help to um, get together. We find talent, you know, speakers, and um, we all create our own classes also. Um, and then we have a, a general session that we all do together. And I always make sure to include us. Like all my dispatchers, raise your hand, right? Yeah. Keep them up. Keep them up. And they're all looking at me like, listen, you know. <laughs> and then everybody else, I'm like, all right, all you firemen, take a look around. Take a look around all these people with their hands up. They want you to know what their job is at the end of the day. At the end of the day. Their job is to literally make sure that you go home at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's not just to say 10-4 and make the phone calls. Yeah. And we take it personal. Mm-hmm. 
10,000% personal. And it changes. I've had so many people come up to me and say, I had no idea. I, I want to take a, I want to sit in on your next class. You can do what you want here. You know, like nobody's, nobody's telling you what you got to do. So once we get into the dispatch side of the fire stuff mm-hmm. that we're teaching for the state, and then they're like, we really need to treat our dispatchers better. Mm. Yep, here's my card. If you have, if you're having a hard time getting into your dispatch center, let me know. I'll reach out to the director, and we'll get you in there to sit along. Mm. Take treats too; that helps. <laughs> <laughs> bring snacks, a lot, Jen. Cream, bring snacks, bring nuts. You know, well, maybe not the nuts. Some people might be allergic, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, yeah. just keep trying to plug away. They advocating for for us. Um, the one percent that's overlooked in pretty much every aspect of emergency services. Um, and then also the getting our, our job descriptions changed to get us reclassified to first responders. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, that's something that, you know, I've noticed like the more I'm creating content, the more I'm expanding, like, starting to reach people who are not necessarily in the first responder world mm-hmm. is like, that's their first response is like dispatchers, first responders. That's a stretch. Like that's a dead end job. That doesn't pay enough. And mm-hmm. all of these things um, folks are providing feedback for. And it's just like, this is the reason that we're doing this podcast. This is the reason that I'm making these silly reels is to put this idea in reality, in the forefront of people's minds is that, A, dispatchers are first responders. The literal first, we start the process. Someone calls, we send them, you know, we get folks going, officer comes up on the air, we're sending them help, so on and so forth, literally. But the problem is, and I think that people don't realize, it does go back to this fight on our job descriptions and our classification. You know, we're getting paid clerk money for first responder services. And the reason that's happening, especially, you know, across the states, is that our job descriptions don't justify our pay, you know? And so it's hard to advocate for that raise or that matching wage um, to our first responders that are in the field um, because our job description doesn't match it. And when people are saying they don't, that job doesn't pay enough. That's why this, that, 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 the third, it's like, well, we have to advocate for these changes in order to, because the job isn't going away. Someone's going to need to answer the phone. We just advocate for the class reclassification, the changing of our job descriptions, and that will bring the better retirement, the better mental health services and the better paycheck that we deserve in this line of work. Absolutely. And it's got to be, you know, like across the board, the small agencies, the big agencies, because when they start to audit, they, you know, and they pull them out of a hat, man, if your job description is still clerical, that's what we are all getting, not just that department. And that's where I think people fall short in the information. And that's the first stepping stone is everybody has to change their job description, every single agency, every single, you know, um, um, emergency answering point at the end of the day, really at the end of the day, even if it's, I mean, recently um, our neighboring state is starting to um, consolidate Mm -hmm. a lot of their centers Mm -hmm. and, but they can do that because they're all funded by the state. Mm -hmm. Now the state that I'm in, they're all funded independently by county or municipality wherever you happen to work. Mm-hmm. So we get to pick the kind of CAD that we use. We get to pick, you know, whether or not we're going to do something where the, this, the neighboring state says, yeah, no, we're telling you what you're going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's like, a lot of people are losing their jobs and they're going to have to go like they're on day shift somewhere. They're going to have to reapply to go to a, this consolidated place. So they have a better chance of getting that first response paid because of the way the state is handling it. And they're classifying them as first responders because they're putting them in this consolidation mm. where the smaller agencies are where the bigger struggle is for the job descriptions because some of the 
most dispatches law enforcement based, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the police chiefs are like, no. Yeah. And that's where I think we need to get over that hump mm-hmm. that I've seen. Yeah. We need to fight for each other. You know what I mean? Like I always, it's always funny when we talk about, I don't know, in my head, when we talk about like increasing wages, right? If if my wage increases, yours will eventually increase. Like let's always advocate for everyone to get more money. Like let's, like, I think sometimes um, I've witnessed like in my partner's line of work when they're talking about positions and stuff. They're like, oh, like I didn't, I didn't get paid that when I did this job, and it's like, well, times have changed, you know, times yeah. changed. Let's, uh, let's always advocate for everyone to get more money. We're always trying to pat our pockets, you know, like it's yeah. expensive out here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, the world's wild right now, so. No, you're not kidding. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm by myself, and I have two boys, mm-hmm. right? So there's also that to take into consideration. Yeah. And, you know, when you finally do, and so here's the other struggle, you know, like you get so used to all that overtime, right? Mm. When you're short staffed, you know, that, 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 that overtime's nice. Yeah. And especially with inflation, man, it was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. And now we have somebody trained and she's on her own and now my overtime is gone. Oh my gosh. This is, this is me. This is my life right now. That's why I, when I got back from vacation, I wor- went and worked a four hour overtime slot because there is no overtime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it was 6 a.m. So, you know, I was out here like, I guess <laughs> this is the only one I can get. So, but it's true. It's like you like you like when we're understaffed because you could have if you're someone who wants OT, it's it's there for you. But if you don't want OT and you're getting forced and stuff like that, like that's no fun. Right. Um, and then when you're fully staffed, you're like, yay, time off. But I want to work more so I can actually take time off. And there's no extra hours. So it's like this right. double. It's a good problem to have. It is. Problem nonetheless. <laughs> Literally a good problem to have. And like <clears throat> I was talking to a friend of mine who's also in the field. She actually she retired very recently. And um she just looked at me and she's like, Now that you're done working overtime, do you feel that you've got like a crap ton of brain fog? And I'm like, Yes. <sighs> she's like your body has just been going on no sleep and no sleep and you're just like been hyper vigilant for a year because you had no time to yourself yeah and i have all this time to myself and i'm like why did i walk into this room (laughs) (laughs) oh that's right i came to do this and then then mom brain sets in. Oh god, I gotta do this, and then I gotta do dishes, you know. And then, I, and then I eventually get back to that. <laughs> one day, one day we'll find our way for sure. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I know that people listening who is like, "What? What is this fully staffed that you're talking about? I've never experienced it." <clears throat> and it's funny because it is one of the things that um, I just posted a reel today, promoting the the workbook that we have available for folks who are going into interviews, um, what questions to ask, practice questions, things like that. And one of the things that's included in the packet is 10 questions to ask your interviewer. Like you want to know what's your force mandated overtime looks like? You know, what, what is your, do you have a peer support team? Do you dispatch police, fire, medical, or you only do fire, medical, or you only do police? Like these questions that if you're not in the field, you might not know to ask. And you yeah. might not know is important to you. And I think that one of the things that I like to promote with this job is that we work 12s, you know, in a fully staffed center where you're not getting mandated every two minutes. You know, that means you get an extra day off every other week. And I know that's not a reality for everybody everywhere, but like I've been extremely lucky at both my agencies that when I've been there, We've been fully staffed, annoyingly so, quite frankly. And, <laughs> and, and it's awesome, right? That's great. And I've been able to enjoy that good work-life balance, but that's not the case everywhere. Right. And they have, the question is, what are we doing to get more people in the door and not just fill seats, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> fill seats. we don't want to do that, but we want to 
provide people with the realities of the situations we got going on. Because mm-hmm. if retention starts at the interview, we're going to keep folks longer. You right. know, if we're giving half truths, buttering up what the reality is, like they're going to leave. There's no reason for them to stay. Right. You know, they're not invested yeah. in it the way people who have been here are. So, right. you know, that retention starts at the interview. It t- starts at the interview. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Do you remember any of your first calls or early calls for service? <laughs> Unfortunately, there is one that I remember very well. Oh. And I'll probably never forget it. And it was literally one of those. Um, it could have been prevented. Hmm. Um but I can't change it. Right. So, um, I had a girl call me, her brother, she thought her brother was having a mental health crisis and he was in our jail. Mm. She thought he was in our jail. Well, he was released from our jail. Mm. So, you know, I put out an attempt to locate for him, check welfare. Right. Mm. Came back to our sheriff's department to get his medication that he left in the jail. Mm. A CO saw him and saw that our rolling log and called up the dispatch like, hey, that's your dude for your ATL in the lobby right now. So I called downstairs. Dust up and he picks up the phone because it's a weekend. Yeah. I'm like, hey, that's the ATL guy. And he's like, he's fine. Hmm. Like, very next day, the very first phone call I took, he had hung himself in the tree in the front yard when his cousin went to go pick him up for work. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was one of the worst. And that was like a weekend <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so that was a, a very tough. I had a really hard time relating with that officer for a while. Yeah. You know? But I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, mm. almost 18 years ago. Yeah. Suck it up. Yeah. Right. We didn't deal with mental health crisis like we do now mm-hmm. back then. And I'm glad that we do now. Um, I wish we would have started sooner. Mm-hmm. We might have had less burnout. We may have had better um, better dispatchers in our career longer. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, burnout's real for all of us. Yeah. And every, it's not just emergency services. It's literally across the board. Burnout is apparent. Burnout. Mm-hmm wherever you work, a person can give you burnout. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure I'm giving people burnout. (laughs) Like, dude, I told you that before you got here. (laughs) But, you know, I think that, you know, your, your call, you know, I think it kind of speaks to, um, the realities like of I would say like what we hear on the phone versus what the descriptions we're giving out to our officers. Yeah. And like it's it's hard, like <clears throat> one thing I think the regular everyday citizen doesn't understand is you're trying to convey this thing that you're hearing and you're trying because I hear that it's an issue. I hear that it's distress. I can hear that something's wrong right but how do i put into words to really relay to my officers like this is legit like i what i am hearing requires a certain response right and even though you can't hear it the way i'm hearing it my language has to reflect that urgency so they do take precaution to protect themselves going into the call. So they have to the best of my ability to provide them the knowledge that I can, like what they're going into. Like the difference between someone being like, oh, I'm just upset versus like, I'm upset. I'm going to harm you. Like you have to be able to really use the English language to convey that because they're not listening to the call. And I think that it sounds like, and I I could be completely wrong, that was probably a situation that happened with this officer. He didn't talk to the sister, you know, he didn't, he didn't understand the history. He was just like, oh, we found him easier and he's alive and breathing and well in front of me. We're good. 
And, right. But in reality, if we had, if he had the full context or, you know, really dove in and, and took the time on that, on that call, mm-hmm. it, like you said, it could have been prevented. And that, that is probably the toughest uh, calls to deal with is the one where like, I could have done something, something, if one thing were different, whether right. even if it was you, them, sister, him, one thing shifted, it could have changed yeah. the whole bit. And that yeah. is hard to sit with for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But we're definitely in a different place with, you know, acknowledging that the calls we take are trash. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like they, they, they are not good. We, we uh, we acknowledge that one of my guests, uh, I think it was Deborah, the get a, get a therapist day one was her advice. Yeah. Get a therapist day one. Absolutely. And we just you know we need we need tidying up. We don't we don't need the big event. We just need you know a little right. unpacking every once in a while. So yeah, uh, definitely one of my favorite advice given. So. <laughs> And you know, and if, uh, I'm going to shameless plug here for an or- organization that I feel um, that I'm very, um, very happy came into our lives by accident. Uh-huh. Um, it's called Trauma Behind the Badge. Hmm. And um, my motorcycle club actually did a fundraiser for them la- this last summer. Um, we raised a little bit of money for them. They provide all kinds of different services to all types of first responders, hmm. um, police, fire, dispatch. Um, they provide um, money for the family for a first responder to go to rehab if they need to. Any type of rehab, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they will provide, they have a free app, financial advice, um, diet advice, workout advice, um, assist you to help to help you find a therapist if you need it. You know, like they are the nicest people. Um, Chris Fields, he is a retired captain from the Oklahoma city fire department. Hmm. Um, do you remember of the Oklahoma city bombing on the mm-hmm. um, cover of time? I think it was time magazine of the firefighter carrying out that child. Yeah. That was him. Oh, and, wow. Yep. So I met him at a conference in Illinois. Hmm. Um, it, so um, the, what I teach in Wisconsin is called the mutual aid box alarm system. Hmm. And it started in Illinois after the great Chicago fire. Hmm. And so we call Illinois Mother Mavis because they started it. And then it expanded into Wisconsin because Kenosha County butts up to Lake County and they needed a lot of help for a while. Mm-hmm. So when I started teaching in 2009, we had four counties involved in it. Now we have four left mm-hmm. to come onto the system. Yeah. So we've done a lot of work. <laughs> but we saw this man speak at the Mavis, Illinois conference. Where they separate the two because it's such a large conference, they have to separate the chiefs and the dispatchers. They can't put them together because it's so large. And so I saw this man speak and I was like in tears. He's in tears while he's talking. So he's authentic. You know, he's he's telling, he's t- talking about, you know, like what happened that day. And he was fine. He was fine. Yeah. And then a few years later, the smell of wet concrete. Mm. And it was just downward spiral from there and how he went from the bottom and came back to normal with his family. A lot of work, right? A lot of freaking work and how it's important for leadership to make mental health important. It's important for the young guys, the new guys to come in understanding. You don't have to just handle it. You don't have to just deal with it. Like you said, get a therapist day one. Yeah. Day one. They are comprised of firefighters, police officers, EMTs, um, paramedics, just all different kinds of uh, military also, uh, just across the board. And they are amazing people. Um, They sent Chris Fields to Wisconsin for my motorcycle rally, along with an officer from Florida. Mm -hmm. And they were both just amazing people just to talk to. And, you know, they gave their spiel during our breaks of when we had our bands um, take a break. Um, And we were just really, really very fortunate to be able to try to raise some money to try to help some first responders that might be hurting, might need the help. And they are definitely a good resource. Like I said, it's a free app. 
Shama behind the badge and the um the app is called Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. I mean, I always love hearing that um A that there's resources, right? Resources yeah. are great. Um yeah. but B that they're including dispatchers, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that they're acknowledging that um like we're in the same fight. You know, like we're we're dealing with the same stuff. It might look different, yep. um, but it you know it all goes into the same trauma bag. So um, it's really awesome. So thank you so much for sharing that trauma behind the badge, uh, the app called the Lighthouse. Um, we'll definitely include that in the show notes because the more resources, the better. You know, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, for sure. And what what might resonate with one person, you know, might not resonate with another. So you know, finding different ways to do the thing and the goal being just to help, you know, yep. we're, we're going to get, get more first responders healthy and doing this job longer, yep. or even knowing when it's time to tap out, you know, I think that's half the battle too. Uh, and you yeah. do that through therapy and through working it out and figuring it out and talking to someone who gets it, who's giving yep. you tools. Um, both realities can exist at the same time. And, you know, we, we got to take care of ourselves first so we can take care of others, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So dispatching and EMT, <laughs> how do those compare? Like, I feel like they're so similar and yet so different. <laughs> they are. Um, <clears throat> and it, I literally, when I first started dispatching, my captain, um, at the time, love him, loved him. He was probably the best boss I could have had mm-hmm. walking in the door. Very cool. He literally looked at me and said, you cannot talk medical on the phone. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me right now? Yeah, I've been trained. The, the city paid for this. I'm a professional. <laughs> and we weren't EMD certified back then, right? Wow. So, it was literally like, you take the call, you dispatch it, you let the people on the, on the road deal with it. And I'm like, mm, yeah, mm, that's mm. tough. Yeah, it, it was. Um, a lot of EMT friends that I know mm-hmm. that got into dispatching and did not continue their career in dispatching. Mm-hmm. I asked them, I said, why did you quit? Mm-hmm. It's the not knowing. It's the not seeing. Being able to separate the two is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Like EMT, EMS, we're very visual people. Yeah. Like we're walking into a house. The first thing we see is your face. Mm-hmm. I know if you're breathing. I know yeah. if you're not. Right. Hi, Kitty. <laughs> um, we can tell, you know, like if you're bleeding or if you're not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in dispatch, we're relying on another person's set of eyes. And we're hoping yeah. they're giving us correct answers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They literally gave CPR instructions to somebody who never did CPR. And told yeah, me, like, what are you just yesing me? Like, okay, yeah. But like, disrespectful. <laughs> like, if you're not going to do it, why am I doing this? <laughs> Thankfully, her boyfriend lived. Uh, However, and he didn't need it at the time. Right? Okay. But that's not the point, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's very like, I had, you know, six years experience going into it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, I was okay with the unknown because sometimes we don't, we don't find out what happened with our patients. Sometimes they do pass away in the hospital a couple of days later, yeah. you know, that's sometimes I feel like seeing the death is worse than the not knowing, mm-hmm. especially with the kiddos. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like how dispatch relates, because we don't, they didn't have a good relationship with dispatch when I first became an EMT. I mean, we were respectful to each other, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. And, you know, we didn't, you know, like we were professional on the radio and whatever. But then, of course, when we get to the call, like, they said that they're like, they broke their foot and it's literally a subtotal, right? 
Every time. Every time. There's blood yeah. everywhere. And there's like yeah. no blood. It's nail polish. Like, right. Oh, the right. Worst. <laughs> so we could and now, you know, like I I understand, like I've literally stood up in meetings and like you all need to understand that they're literally just giving you the information that they're giving from somebody else. But, they don't have eyes on this. So you don't you can't you have to stop leaving them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then once we get into <clears throat> Um, after action, um, you know, um, audits and stuff, and we start listening. And uh, uh, my um, leadership on the fire department that I'm on is there has come around a whole lot since uh, they've become full time. We became a combination full time and um, paid on call department. Mm -hmm. So one of my assistant chiefs came, he just got promoted to full-time here at my department. He was on another full-time department Mm -hmm. elsewhere for many years, but he's a very good advocate in working together. And like, he's like, I need to bring this up. I need you guys to listen to this because you don't understand what else happening behind the scenes. And I think this will give you a better um, perspective of how often you're asking what's you need, what's the ETA, the helicopter. And then, like, literally, what's the ETA of the helicopter? And he paused it. He's like, y'all asked 15 seconds ago, right? And she's still dealing with trying to get a paramedic coming, too, right? Yeah. She's still on the with somebody else. So, and they're one person in that room. They're, they have no partners. Mm. So that, I think, has come a long way. And I think, at least for me, in my experience, right? Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've also trying to advocate where I have worked. Yeah. Hey, along in dispatch. When I was EMS lieutenant, I made my new people go sit in dispatch for four hours yeah. on a Saturday afternoon, not a Monday morning. <laughs> Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, we're doing it in the evening, people. We're not doing it when there's nothing happening. And the hardest decision you have to make is what's for lunch, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. dispatch supervisor wasn't exactly happy with me about it. And I was like, listen. This is part of me advocating for our job here, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, fine. She finally. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. It's just you know, you don't know until you know, and it's so important. It's important for dispatch to go on ride-alongs. It's important for patrol to sit in, you know, dispatch. I mean, there's just a world of understanding that comes from that experience. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we say folks who are considering this line of work, if you're not doing sit-alongs in your hiring process, what are you doing? You know, like what, if you don't give someone the opportunity to come into your center, get a feel for it, see the work that's being done, and then decide if they want to continue in this process, there's a good chance you're going to be wasting each other's time. Right. Department's money. Like let's, let's be fully transparent with this job, so we get people who understand what they're doing, yep. experienced a little bit of it, see it and go, I could do that, and then see if they can. You know, I, I, I all yep. for transparency in this process. And if you have an agency that's not willing to do that, I would think twice. That's right. If they're like, ah, you know, along, y'all, y'all, not all dispatch centers are cut from the same cloth, you know, and that's mm-hmm. just reality, and you know. Um, you as the new person, you're not going to fix that. You know, you, you're you're just trying to survive that training, that process. And, you know, you want to go place where, where it feels good to be. So ask the right questions. You're the prize. Yeah. You yeah. are the exactly. prize. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You walk in there like you're the prize and man, own it. Exactly. That's right. It. That's, and it's funny because, you know, I'm uh, come from the world of sports, you know, I played a little basketball in college and I always, I talk to my partner about like the, the need for dispatchers, right. And the process of applying to be a first responder has shifted so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've gone from like where there's over a hundred, 200, 300 applicants and you're yep. hoping to be top five. You're right. hoping that you're you're on the top of the testing, you're in this and that. But now it's like we have hundreds of departments, you know, 
and very few applicants. So it becomes, in my head, it becomes a recruiting game almost, right? Like departments are recruiting officers. They're recruiting dispatchers. Come here because we're going to give you, you know, the the fancy gear and the and the bonus pay and so it's like a recruitment it's a college recruitment in my head yeah. like the way I was recruited for basketball and they're like this is our fancy gym well this is our fancy gym right you this much and honestly that's that's the reality we're living in but I think some departments are still acting like like the the recruit is trying to get to them like no we're trying to get to the recruit we're right. right now we're in a world where we're trying to convince them. And if we're trying to convince them, that means six other people are trying to convince them. So right. what are we doing for our applicants to make them feel like we're D1 and we right. want to come play at our D1 school? What are we right. doing? You know? And I think that's the answer to fixing our problems in these departments is like, we need to be treating people like they're the D1 athlete and we're trying to get them to come to our squad. You know? Yeah. I, um, Met a woman who was in HR over the summer mm-hmm. and she, uh, she's um, HR for industrial. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know exactly what it is that they do, but all I know is that it sounds, it's sounds complicated. <laughs> right. So she's like, I went to a conference and they were talking about what it's like to hire a person for one opening. Mm-hmm. You're going to look at 43 applications. You're going to interview 38 of those people and only two are going to respond after you interview them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they had over a hundred openings so with over 2,000 applications that she was going to see it was just under 2,000 that they were going to interview (laughs) (laughs) right so I'm like oh my god like a small agency right so yeah. we went understaffed for almost a year mm-hmm. almost a year 11 months we went yeah. uh, understaffed by a full-timer for 11 months mm-hmm. and like I was seeing some of these applications that were getting dropped off and it was clearly applied to keep um unemployment yeah you knew they weren't going to get the job yeah. they knew that they wouldn't qualify because they were a felon Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't apply for <laughs> work with the felony. Maybe a little old misdemeanor, but not a felony. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I understand that you know people make mistakes mm-hmm. and stuff happens, right? Oh, yeah. But when you literally like, why do you want this job? Because the pay would be bomb. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. I don't know, Renee. I think that I think that person should they they should get a shot, <laughs> right? I, I don't know. I guess I'm just I'm in awe of like <clears throat> these agencies are like, oh, we have state retirement. Yeah, yeah. What they fail to tell you is that the insurance costs you $150 a month for a family, and you have a $6,000 deductible. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, that's great. You're getting paid 25 bucks an hour, but you're also spending that money in your insurance also. Yeah. The reason I have a 42-minute commute is because my insurance is amazing. (laughs) And all of that matters. All of that are, like, are the questions we should be asking, you know, in the interview. And you should be looking through benefits that are listed in these job announcements and i know that for folks who are just getting into the the you know big big person profession adult adult jobs you know um they look at the salary and and they're like yeah that's it you know but the benefits are just if not more important um the other thing that i'm really advocating for in um, our interview processes are providing folks the interview questions you want them to answer. It's Mm -hmm. something that they do in the corporate world. Um, It's inclusive. You give them the answers the day before. 
Oh, the questions, not the answers. I got a couple of their own answers. Yeah. But you give them the questions the day before, they can read it. They can ponder (laughs) on their life experience and actually come up with a full-fledged answer rather than me just shooting off the side of my hip and hoping I can think of something and and make it land. And, you know, because I think the questions are for the employer, of course, but they're also for me as a potential applicant. If I'm reading these questions and I'm like, this sounds like nothing I want to do. I don't want to, I don't want to have it, have to answer questions like this. Right. Probably not going to be the right person with a job. Right. You know, I don't know why we make it harder for people to be successful in our already, like if they're going to flounder out, they're going to flounder out in training. You know, like our, our system is set up to weed people out on its own, but Mm -hmm. you know, let's get good people. Let's get people who can formulate good answers, who show up well, um, when given the opportunity and let's give them a chance, you know, let's see what they can do. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Renee, we have been killing it. We (laughs) we have been such a wonderful interview. Um, I thank you for, you know, sharing your experience, being willing to, you know, share some tough stories. Um, you know, we have to, we have to bring those things to light to give other people, um, a glimpse into the stuff we got going on on this yeah. side of the um, this side of the microphone. So I really do um, appreciate you being vulnerable. Um, and the last question that I ask everyone, you know, as we come to a close, is what advice would you give someone considering a career in dispatch? Go bartend and wait for <laughs> If you can be, if you are a good bartender. Or if you were, you can be a good weight person, you will rock this job. Every single person that I have trained that has been had previous bartending and previous weight staff experience rocked this job. <laughs> if you can do that, man, you can do this. Ten thousand percent every oh single God. time. <laughs> that is hilarious. I thought you were just gonna be like, so you can make us a martini because we need a little alcohol. <laughs> On this shift, we need good people to make good drinks. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but since you did. <laughs> it's true, though. Um, actually, one of the jobs that I say I could never do what it is like waitressing and bartending. And like those you folks out there who are, who are in that line of work or who have done it in the past, man. Props to you because the way people are disrespectful on the phone as a 911 dispatcher, I know people are disrespectful in person and food yeah. service. So props to you. And, and Renee, you're right. If you can deal with customer service in those industries, yeah. you can answer 911 and deal with folks on their worst day. Sure. <laughs> yep. I literally had, um, where was I? I was out with friends. And you know how often that happens? Not very often, right? <laughs> okay. And we were we were at a bar. It was busy, like super, super busy. And this girl was just keeping up with everybody. She mm-hmm. was doing her thing. She did have a respect, a disrespectful dude, and we all, you know, we all backed her up, right? Yeah. And then, you know, but she's like, I got this, right? And she dealt with it. And then when she got all done, I looked at her, I said, like, Girl, have you ever considered becoming a dispatcher? A dispatcher? And she looked at me, she's like, What? I'm like, I'm serious. Yeah. I'm dead serious. Because like I bartended and waitressed when I was younger too. Like mm-hmm. for real. Consider it. Yeah. Consider it. Just go do a sit-along. Think about it. You'd be really good at it. And she's like, why? And then be like, oh, I gotta go do this. And then she came back and like little tidbit conversations here and there. Yeah. But, like she reached out to me. She's working at a center in southern Illinois. Look at that. We're recruiting up bars too. Everybody get in this line of work. I love it. That's so awesome. And it's so, so true. Look at that. Have a drink, change the life. I love it. That's amazing. Very cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Again, Renee, go ahead. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Renee, thank you so much again for being willing to jump on with me, um, sharing your story. Um, sharing your drink recipes. <laughs> uh, and I really appreciate it. I really do.
Well, I appreciate you having me and I appreciate you, my shameless plug and, you know, all the resources that I can throw out there. I'm going to do it no matter what. So we can all get the help that we need if we need it. The, yes. the pushes we need, you know, uh, everything that we need, because like you said, we all need to support each other. And if we don't, what good are we? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Renee, I'll be right back with you again. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks. All right, everybody, that was another amazing episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch. Renee, yes, thank you so much uh, for coming on, sharing your story, sharing your resources, Trauma Behind the Badge. I believe the app was called The Lighthouse. We'll include that information in the video notes as well, uh, because we need more dispatchers and we need folks to uh, be doing well who are doing this job currently. So if you do need a little extra help, if you're feeling a little, um, you know, like you're needing a tune-up, there's no problem in finding help. And it sounds like Renee's experience with trauma behind the badge has been a good one. So maybe it'll be a good fit for you. Until next time, everybody, stay raspy. Of course, like, subscribe, tell a friend, and check us out at theraspydispatcher.com. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Dispatch Podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show, or maybe even submitting your own story, you can do all that and more at theraspydispatcher.com. Until next time, stay raspy.